0: as we're talking to you we are barreling along at 80 miles an hour which is the legal speed here uh on highway Eighty Five. actually oh is it
1: yeah it was 80 in wyoming but now we're in nebraska and it's 75.
0: anyway i'm tony
1: and i'm peggy
0: we are two rv industry veterans who travel part-time
1: in a new trailer that's right
0: looking to help you with great tips
1: tricks and
0: discounts absolutely so we are trying something when we've done this before where we've recorded as we're driving down the road at the moment we are driving unencumbered by an RV in that (laughs) we're on our way to Indiana to pick up our new travel trailer that's right and that's what next week's episode is going to be all about like the hokey pokey (laughs) although
1: by the time you're listening we probably have actually touched our new trailer yes
0: yeah this podcast goes out Thursday mornings before 8 every week Pacific correct but we've never missed one but anyway Thursday mornings and uh, by then we will have gone and started the pickup process of our new travel trailer that's so right. that's we're very much exciting so no we're excited yeah there you go so there you are anyway we will be spending several weeks in Indiana, and this will include Memorial Day, where we are staying at...
1: It's called the Trading Place. Yeah,
0: and it apparently there is a flea market there and all that. We don't intend to get fleas, but we <laughs> do want to see what all the...
1: But it should be fun to shop, and it yeah. also is has an inn and it also has an rv park and so we're going to be staying in that rv
0: park yeah we'll shop and ship <laughs> so that's where we'll be for a couple of weeks now also going on factory tours we've talked to a few rv companies and we're going to be going on factory tours and that sort of stuff and of course we'll be bringing you along with us for through sure. the miracle of modern recording there you go one of the interesting things as we <laughs> head east towards indiana we see a lot of brand new rvs going going west direction you can tell they're new because
1: well because a lot of them are up on trailers
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, so for those of you who don't know the way particularly travel trailers get from the manufacturer to the dealer is the larger ones are actually towed essentially by somebody with a pickup truck. Yeah. And so they are registered companies that do this, so they have to put a DOT sticker on the outside of their pickup truck. And so you see a brand new RV towed by a pick, usually a one ton or three quarter ton pickup with a DOT sticker on it. And we've seen a tremendous number of these going the other way. We
1: sure have.
0: The other way that they get to where they're going is on a larger trailer. So the smaller trailers, like, uh, you know, let's say GeoPros and pop-up trailers, that sort of stuff, those get on to a larger trailer and get hauled in either two, three, or even we've seen four on a bigger trailer.
1: Like by a semi-truck.
0: Yeah, usually a much larger, usually a one-ton truck, or even, as Peggy said, a large commercial truck. We've seen a lot of that. But another thing we've seen a lot of, and this is a reminder we've seen a lot of rvs going both directions with the vent covers open flopping around Yeah, they're
1: flapping around in the wind
0: yeah and that will of course cause damage and you know what will happen is you'll have broken that plastic cover which is relatively easy to replace but just the same but just the
1: same and by the (laughs) way hey there goes there goes a mini light there goes a mini light we're in the midwest and this isn't so much Something we're used to in California, but there's almost a daily like little deluge, and so of rain. If you're yeah, of rain, and if you're driving around with your vent flap open and it rains, then you're probably getting a little bit of leakage into your camper. Yeah,
0: and a lot of times those are over a bed, so that's yeah, right. worse than getting in your RV and
1: and your beds have, all yeah, wet. Yeah,
0: having a wet bed. But yeah, so. The point of all this is that we do have free checklists on stresslesscamping.com, and we'll put a link directly to those, but they are customizable. Hey, look, there's a double haul of Kodiaks going the other way. Anyway, we will put a link to them, and you can download them and customize them for your own RV so that you have a like a check-in checklist and maybe a checklist before you go and Peggy and I still use our checklists even though we've been doing this for a spell
1: right and now we have to customize it for our new trailer yeah
0: yeah that's true which we will do
2: that's
1: right so anyway
0: remember that checklists make stressless camping (laughs) now there's an airplane but it's not going anywhere (laughs) anyway we will be right back we talked to a really interesting chap about his books that he's written and his boondocking and camping style and i really enjoyed speaking with him and also he has a number of books that he's written so we'll be back after this
1: Remember that time we followed our GPS and ended up at the top of a cliff overlooking the campground?
0: Yeah, I had to back the trailer down a mountain road.
1: Remember the time we went on that twisty windy road and hit our awning on a tree?
0: Yeah, I do. But now those kinds of things aren't going to happen anymore thanks to RV Trip Wizard.
1: Right. RV Trip Wizard lets you plan your journeys before you go and then use their app on your phone or tablet to safely navigate that journey.
0: You can set parameters such as how far you want to travel in a day, how many miles you can go between fuel stops, and even read reviews of the campgrounds and places you want to go to. It all takes into account the size of your RV and more.
1: Then you can rest assured that your phone isn't going to lead you into trouble.
0: If you have an RV, you need RV Trip Wizard. Check it out on your discounts and deals page on stresslesscamping.com where you can also listen to our interview with RV Trip Wizard and learn about the whole RV life suite. Now Now that's Stressless Camping. We have the good fortune of having author John Sorries with us, who has written guidebooks. He's a freelance writer, a California native who grew up near Reading, and he's the author of several books, including Camp for Free, Dispersed Camping and Boondocking on America's Public Lands, "A 100 Classic Hikes, Northern California and Hike the Parks, and Redwood National and State Parks. So, John, (laughs) welcome.
3: Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here.
0: We had talked briefly via email about boondocking and dispersed camping and finding those kinds of places. So let's start there, sharing some tips and ideas for that.
3: Well, yes, I love boondocking slash dispersed camping. They are essentially the same thing. Boondocking is the term that RV folks tend to use. That's why I use both terms. I've been doing it for over 30 years. I first started doing it when I was writing the first edition of 100 Classic Hikes, Northern California, about 30 years ago, I would drive all over Northern California, oftentimes in rural areas like the Sierra Nevada, up around Lassen Volcanic National Park, around the Trinity Alps, things like that, the areas covered by my guidebooks. And I needed a place to stay at night. So also being a frugal person, And somebody who really loves the solitude and just being out in nature by myself, I just naturally gravitated to boondocking, uh, dispersed camping. Hmm. I really grew to just absolutely love it. And for me, it's just the ideal way to camp. I like being out there alone with just me and nature and just so much beauty around me.
0: There's just so much all over this country but here on the west coast it's it's amazing. Right. I mean you get the desert, the forests, it's <laughs> just incredible. And how do you find these kinds of places?
3: Well, it's relatively easy to do in my book Camp for Free, I have uh, several chapters that really goes into the nitty-gritty of it, but The key thing to know is that there are hundreds of thousands, millions of acres of public lands in the United States, primarily from the Rocky Mountains West, but there's also some in the eastern United States. It is primarily U.S. Forest Service land and Bureau of Land Management lands. There's some other federal lands that you can also camp on for free. But those are the two main ones that you would look for. The BLM land is primarily in the desert areas of Nevada and Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, etc. But there is some scattered out through through other parts of the West. Forest service lands are more California, Oregon, Washington, a little bit more Pacific Northwest. But then there's also forests in the Midwest and near the East Coast. So you need to know just in general what are public lands that you can do it on. Then from there, you have to narrow it down. You have to figure out where do I want to do this? Where do I want to be? So you have to decide, oh, I want to be in this national forest or I want to be on this BLM district's land. Then from there, you can go to the website of the agency that's in charge of that area. And you also want to call up the agency and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing some boondocking in this area. Can you give me some suggestions of good areas to go? You need to tell them then also what vehicle you're driving. Because that's crucial for what roads you can get on that that's especially used for people that are driving RVs or are pulling trailers and they just have large vehicles that are less maneuverable and need better roads and wide roads and the ability to turn around and, and things like that so that is crucial for many of your listeners to know that Yeah, doing those phone calls, looking at the website, then you get to the nitty gritty of actually looking at the maps of where you're going to go, looking at the roads and combining this all with the information that you're getting online and from your phone calls. There are also websites online that list some sites where you can go boondocking there are also apps that have some boondocking sites if you go to my website dispersedcamping.net you'll see that i have a full list of resources of apps and websites and government agencies and everything you really need to get going with finding campsites. So that's like the broader picture of how I do it. And then if you want, I can also go more into the nitty gritty of, okay, I'm out there. How do I actually find a site when I'm actually out right on the road?
0: That would be, and yeah, we'll definitely put a link to your website. And of course, to the books too. I assume they're on Amazon.
3: They are on Amazon. Camp for free is for now in the print version is only for sale on Amazon. The ebook version is available basically anywhere you would buy ebooks. You should be able to find it there. My hiking guidebooks, and I have a total of four, they are, of course, available on Amazon. Many of them are also available at stores like REI, Barnes & Noble, other outdoor stores. And oftentimes your local bookstore may have it, but all bookstores and outdoor stores can order them because they're published by Mountaineers Books, which is one of the largest publishers in the world of outdoor guidebooks. So that's really easy for people to get. Camp for Free is published by Get Outside Press, which is my own company. Mm -hmm.
1: You bring up a really good point that I want to reiterate is you want to know that what vehicle you're driving is going to make it to the places you want to go. Because part of the appeal of dispersed camping is being where there aren't people. And (laughs) that means there aren't Starbucks and there aren't parking lots and there aren't hookups and, (laughs) and all that stuff. And so you've got to be prepared and really know that you can, like you said, get where you want to go and be self-contained so that you can take care of yourself while you're out there.
3: Yes, exactly. So one of the key principles that I emphasize about doing this is preparation. You must be prepared to be way out there. Like you said, there's no Starbucks, which you know potentially we might be able to get around a little bit, but there's also no gas stations, there's no stores, there's no Home Depot, there's no auto parts store. You really have to make sure that you've taken everything that you need out there with you. On dispersedcamping.net, I have an extensive checklist of what to take Uh when you're going boondocking. So it's, it's really, really crucial to make sure that you have everything with you, including tools for basic repairs on your vehicle so you can keep it running. For example, and just making sure that you know how to change a flat tire and that you've got the equipment to do that. I mean, just stuff like that. You can't call AAA. I mean, you might be able to call AAA (laughs) depending on where you are, but you could be out someplace with no cell reception. And so you really do have to think about that. There is a second part to your question that you talked about, which is vehicles, like what are good vehicles for doing this? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of your audience is really focused on RVs and, you know, larger vehicles. And that's why it's especially important when you do your research to make sure that the roads are going to be suitable for your vehicle. Right. I think instinctively we know that, but there's also a tendency, to sometimes be a little overly optimistic, or to feel like, (laughs) oh, it looks so beautiful up that road, it looks sort of sketchy, but maybe if we can make it through this part, it'll be fine, and we'll find a campsite. (laughs) Well, maybe not. You really have to think about the limits of your vehicle. One piece of advice I give is, when in doubt, scout. Meaning, oh, that's good. stop oh, yeah. your vehicle, get out and walk. And it could be that you see an area, it's like, well, I can make that, but I wouldn't be able to turn around. Or I can make that, but what if it's worse just around the corner?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Just stop, get out of your vehicle and, and walk and, and go look, and then you can get that information. And um, Just as a corollary to that, if you find a site you like, like, oh, we found a site. Yeah, we could camp here. This is good. All right, maybe you park there, but then get out and walk just a little farther down that road cuz sometimes there's an even better sight. Just 100 yards, 200 yards down and you go, "Oh, wow, this is the super primo."
2: Site. <laughs> so,
3: but a bit about vehicles, I first started doing it in a Subaru Outback. Well, actually, oh, yeah. I first I actually first started doing it in a Nissan Sentra. And I would Uh. camp in a tent. So you can do, you can do this with just about any vehicle you have. It's just that the characteristics of your vehicle put limitations on what you can do. So for example, if you have a Nissan Sentra, you're going to be with a tent and camping my Subaru Outback. When I camped alone, I could sleep in there with the seats down and back on the diagonal because I'm six feet tall. <laughs> and part of the time that I was doing that, I had two golden retrievers <laughs> with me and I actually even managed to sleep in the Subaru Outback with two Golden Retrievers, believe it or not. It was really crowded. And one had to be up kind of near my face, and the other one was down closer to my feet.
1: You made a percent sign.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we made a percent sign. And um, the one that was down by my feet is the one that had the tendency in her sleep to sometimes kind of poke with her paw. You know, so you can't have that by your face, but that's just a side note, but saying you can, you know, you can do this with any vehicle. Now, Stephanie and I do this in a minivan. It's a Kia Sedona and we call it the hotel Sedona. (laughs) we, We live in it and it also, it's our little restaurant and it's got a platform in it. We have room underneath for six plastic bins that carry all our stuff. We have room for big, cooler that keeps all our stuff cold this all goes on underneath and we're we're happy in there and that's working for us but we're limited to where minivans can go Mm -hmm. that's a lot but it's oftentimes it's a, a clearance issue that's usually what it is is a clearance issue and for larger vehicles like rvs it's also a width issue because many of the dirt roads out there it might be you know, eight or nine feet wide, and that may work well for a minivan, but there's branches that are intruding that would be hard for an RV to do.
0: Right. Well, and a lot of, specifically, if motorized RVs, uh, with a few exceptions, and travel trailers, the tires are just not that grippy. They're typically highway-style tires. And Mm -hmm. you don't want to get somewhere where you need extra gription, as it were. And (laughs) you're spinning your wheels quite literally. And another point you made, you had talked about knowing how to change tires. If you have a towable RV, a travel trailer or fifth wheel, the equipment in your truck may not necessarily be correct to change those tires so i always suggest just try what you have before you ever head out because tire failures are so common and so if you're out in the woods and you can't change your own tire you're you're really out of luck (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. You're absolutely right, and that goes back to being prepared and also doing your research ahead of time. And that includes, yeah, knowing how to change a flat and knowing about things with your vehicle and having uh, some idea of what what it's going to be like with the condition uh, conditions of the roads out there.
0: Yeah, we've been really bulking up on gadgets that run more efficiently. So for example, I like smoothies. So we bought a battery powered blender and we have a 12 volt cooler and we have all this stuff now that several years ago was not that common. And now the the things you can take with you even in a regular car are um, amazing. I don't know, it just impresses the heck out of me.
3: Yeah, there are so many options there. I'm on Facebook and I'm a member of several groups that revolve around traveling in vans and RVs and dispersed camping. And I personally, well, I don't say I got in my way to minimize. My number of gadgets. I do have my gadgets, but I try to not go overboard with, oh, this might be nice to have. I'll get it. And then it's one more thing I have to manage and store and try to figure out how to use. So, I mean, there's that balance there, but I'm just really impressed by all the possibilities there are out there now for us to have things that are useful to us entertaining that can make our lives more fun and, and interesting and people are even like brewing coffee uh, people like, yeah. oh i can brew my coffee this way and i'm also in hiking groups so people are like oh this is how i make my coffee when i'm backpacking so mm-hmm. you know, there are people that they bring ground coffee and they have the special way they brew their coffee just right is because it's uh, something that's very important to them to enjoy
0: yeah, that's what Mark was talking about. Yeah. We have a friend who hikes every year, and he was a guest as well. And we are trying to do more with hiking and Including, be more inclusive yeah. of hiking and and boondocking.
1: Because we say there's no wrong way to go camping. But right. we don't know that much about
0: <laughs> hiking and,
1: <laughs> and yeah. even tent camping. The last time I tent camped a few weeks ago... It was a six-man tent, and I was by myself, and I had a cot, and I had my induction cooker, and I was at a <laughs> campground, and <laughs> yeah. that was roughing it.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> great, and and people need to do what works for them and what makes them comfortable. Stephanie and I vastly prefer uh, boondocking slash dispersed camping, but we occasionally do stay in campgrounds. My book, Hike the Parks, Redwood National and State Parks covers the area from roughly Arcata up to just about the Oregon border along the Northern California coast. It's called the Redwood Coast. Mm -hmm. We love that area. I lived in that area for, for five years and just grew to love it and was very happy to write a book on it for Mountaineer's Books. We go back there a couple times a year. There are not really good options for boondocking over there. There might be some places where you could park by the side of the road sort of thing. I don't really like doing that because there's just too much noise. I don't like being right by a road. When we're there, we tend to stay in campgrounds and Prairie Creek Redwood State Park, is the place that we tend to go to the most it's my maybe my favorite part of the redwood coast and my favorite part of doing the research for my book on it but we stay in the campground there and that campground for the most part has been great so sometimes campgrounds really can be a good option and they're for for many people
0: especially surrounded by those old trees they're they're so fantastic
3: they are there's just something mystical and magical and almost timeless about them
1: yes
0: and you had mentioned talk to the rangers there's a way i believe to find the number for whoever is the ranger in charge of any particular area
3: you want to go to for example let's use say, Shasta-Trinity National Forest, which is up where I live, along with Klamath National Forest. If you are interested in part of Shasta-Trinity National Forest to do some boondocking, you need to figure out what district, what ranger district, or the term might be ranger station, has jurisdiction over that part of the Shasta-Trinity National Forest. National forests are usually broken into, say, three to seven ranger districts, just to make it easier for them to manage. So you would wanna look for that specific ranger station or ranger district, and you would see a number there for information you then call that number and that should, you might have to do a little bit of press two for this or something (laughs) like that, you should eventually get through to a human being that can answer your questions or steer you to somebody else who can answer your questions.
0: Yeah. Because I wonder how you are sure you're on lands that are okay for you to, to camp on. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, that's an important one. And I do advise in the book, Camp for Free, make sure that you have maps of the area where you're going. So, having that physical map, the Forest Service map, for example, can let you know when you're on private land and public land. Also, there are several apps like uh, CalTopo and Gaia and others that you can actually have download the maps to your phone, and it will show you public and private lands so you will know. There are also oftentimes signs. So if you're driving out in the National Forest, you may see a sign you're entering such and such company timberlands. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I typically don't do boondocking on private lands. I will say there are times that I'm not totally sure if I'm on private land or public land, I'm just driving down the road. It's an area. I know this area relatively well. I'm just driving down this road and I see a spot and I'm just going to park my van there for the night and then move on. If I didn't see signs saying this is private land or something, I might consider staying there. You know, that said, you do need to respect private property rights. You know, do try to be aware of that. I know that up here, the Timber companies are really getting concerned about people coming on their lands and uh, really doing anything there, really because they're concerned about people starting wildfires. And that's, that's just the big one for them, because I know many timber companies in the past have been very open about allowing people to recreate on their lands. Like, you can come out here and hike. You can come out here and you you can maybe even camp. You can ride your horse. In hunting season, you can come out here and hunt. They were really okay with that because it's a rural area. Many of their workers live nearby and they like to hunt and camp and fish and hike and do all those things. But just be aware that some of that is really being tamped down. And all things equal, I really would advise you, camp on public lands, don't camp on private lands.
0: And one of the things, a very good, point that you made about campfires, yes. uh, you know we have so much so many challenges with wildfire now, I mean as we speak, New Mexico of all places is on yeah. fire <laughs> yes. and of course here in California we've had so many wildfires, any thoughts on campfires when you're out in this dispersed camping?
3: Yes, I will state right now I haven't had a campfire in probably 15 years. I know about 15 years ago, one night we had a fire basically because Stephanie was really pushing like, oh, it'd be so cute and nice to have a fire. <laughs> Prior to that, it probably been five or 10 years since I'd had a campfire. So I don't have campfires anymore. And I strongly urge other people to also forego campfires. I do get that there's something elemental going back to our roots thousands of years of humans like living in tribes and maybe being hunter gatherers going way back that having that fire meant warmth and it was how you cooked and it was a place for people to gather and to talk and i do understand that but we can still get a lot of that connection with each other and with our roots just by being out there and just by talking for example some people say, oh, I'm going to cook over the campfire. Campfires don't work anywhere near as well as, say, the stove in your RV. Or <laughs> like us, we have a little portable stove with propane. That thing just works great. It's quick, boom, and there's no soot. It cooks evenly. It cooks quickly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have a list of like eight or nine reasons why I don't have campfires. I, I can go through them quickly or just hit the three or four highlights. But
0: Sure. Yeah, go, okay. go ahead.
3: For another thing, campfires really don't provide much warmth. They do provide some, but you have to have a really big fire to really have it throwing significant heat. And the closer you get to it, of course, the more smoke is going into your eyes and your, your nose and your face. Also, campfires, because they're bright, they deprive you of being able to see the stars at night. I love looking at the night sky totally full of stars when you have a campfire yeah you can sort of see the stars but your eyes are adapted to the extra light of the campfire and so you're just not going to see anywhere near as many stars with that campfire there a couple more reasons uh, that i can hit here for one thing when i'm out to camping boondocking i prefer to be as invisible as possible not that I'm really worried or concerned, but I would just kind of the fewer people that know, hey, there's somebody camped over there, just overall uh-huh. the happier I am not that I'm freaked out about it or worried about it or, or anything like that. when you have a campfire that's telling anybody for miles around, oh, you know, there's somebody over there, they have a campfire <laughs> so yeah. that that's a minor factor and It's also a hassle to build them, maintain them, put them out, gather the firewood, all that sort of stuff that takes a lot of time.
1: If you're going out to where you and you're taking limited space, you don't have a whole lot of extra space to carry a lot of firewood either
3: right that's true if you're going to bring your own firewood of course you may not have room to bring it if you go to an area where other people have really picked over the wood you may be taking wood that is really important for that ecosystem ecosystems need the rotting wood to replenish the soil and the nutrients and things like that so if you're coming in there and taking it and burning it if it's an area where nobody Hardly ever goes or it may just be tons of down wood. Small campfire may not have that much of an impact, but this goes to a lot of us that are hikers. But we know, for example, the Trinity Alps, where I've done a lot of backpacking throughout my life, there are areas, the Trinity Alps are in upper Northern California. The Trinity Alps have had many of the more popular places where people backpack. You go there and there's like no wood at all because every little piece has been picked up and burned. So that's a factor. Just one more thing I want to say about campfires. And as uh, Tony alluded to a couple of minutes ago, there's the concern about wildfires and all of us here in the West are of course, so aware of wildfires and uh, everybody in California, all of us have had, a really big fire burn within a few miles of our house. I think we can all attest to that. Like, yes. And we know people who have lost their homes and we know people who had to drive with flames right behind them as they were going as fast as they could, all of that. So wildfires are a huge risk. Now, whatever your take specifically on the causes of climate change, the climate has definitely changed. It is warmer. It is drier. And for the most part, we've been getting less precipitation and the danger from wildfires is just a lot higher now than it was a decade ago or 20 or 30 years ago. So we all have to do what we can to prevent that. If you have a campfire, you may have followed all the rules like, oh, yes, I cleared the area around, all that sort of stuff. But you can still have a wind gust come in, catch a spark, carry it 20, 30 feet away and start a wildfire. So that's a big one there. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: To my understanding of the rules, if you start a wildfire, they're going to send you a bill and it isn't going to be 20 bucks. <laughs>
3: yeah. No, no, it's not going to be 20 bucks. It's not going to be 20 <laughs> bucks. So, yeah. So, yeah, beyond any potential financial liability you may have, I mean, there's just that much greater ethical thing of, of not starting wildfires um, you know, yep. we were evacuated for a week last summer because a fire burned about a mile away from our house up, up where we live near Mount Shasta so it's uh yeah it's it, it's real and we all have to take that seriously and Absolutely. one other point I want to make about that regarding fires but it's also a bigger point and that is when you're driving your vehicle out there In the backcountry, make sure you stay on the designated roads and don't drive your vehicle off-road like oh i can drive 100 feet over this meadow because it's level and pretty over there if there's not a road there if it's not safe to drive there if there's no obvious tracks there don't do it and also be really aware that your vehicle or anything that you are using that could cause sparks is nowhere near anything dry that could get sparked and start a fire
1: yes yeah Yeah.
0: catalytic converter which sits underneath almost all vehicles is really hot. Yeah. And so it's mm-hmm. a, it can cause a
3: fire. Yeah.
1: So John, do you hike to campsites or do you primarily drive to campsites and then do day hikes?
3: I do the latter. Okay. I primarily day hike now. I used to do a lot more backpacking, but I'm getting a bit older and I'm just really preferring to do a great day hike with a day pack on my back that just weighs 10 pounds and I don't even really notice it versus a much heavier backpack.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And then I love coming back. To my van in the evening, having that cooler uh, and (laughs) then with all of my food that I love to eat and plenty of water and uh, all the books I want to read, all the clothes I want to wear, and then at night being able to sleep inside the van uh, with a wonderful warm sleeping bag, my pillow from home, the window cracked a little bit for some air, but not being bothered by wind or weather or bugs or Creatures, So that's what I do, is I combine dispersed camping with day hiking now.
0: Is there any good way for people to kind of start getting into that style of camping and boondocking?
3: You can start, as far as getting started with dispersed camping, boondocking, you should do it whatever way works best for you. I mean, it's always best to start small rather than say, oh, I'm going to spend $100,000 on this Sprinter van. and, why, <laughs> and you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to love this. Uh, and it's going to be my life. I'm going to do a, a lot of boondocking and dispersed camping. And that's what I'm going to do. Why In the winters, I'll be down in Southern Arizona and, and Southern California and all this sort of stuff. We all know people. And there are people that do that and love that. But there are also an awful lot of people for whom, they realize they only like to do it a little bit, or they just don't want to do it at that level they thought that they would want to do it. So if you are new to boondocking or dispersed camping, start easy, just go for one night, go someplace close, go someplace that you're really sure that you're going to be able to find a site that's going to be suitable for your vehicle so that you know you'll have a, a good time. It's really most people love it, but there are some issues, for example, especially if you travel alone and you're out there dispersed camping alone, think, oh, I'm going to go for a week. I'm going to go out and do this. Loneliness can be a bit of a factor. So you have to think about those things.
1: Instead of starting by going out and spending all that money on that vehicle that you find out you don't like, I bet pretty much any of us can take our vehicle, take some blankets and pillows off our bed. Yeah. And just go out there and try it for a night or two without spending any money at all.
3: Without spending any money at all. I would say, if you're going to do that, it is nice to have a tent to sleep in because if you, insects can be a problem. As, mm-hmm. as we know here, like in, in Northern California in the summertime, mosquitoes can be an issue, right? Right. And there <laughs> are some places like the Oregon Cascades are just horrendous and i mean absolutely horrible for mosquitoes that i still go there and i still love it but (laughs) i go there less often than i would because i i know that certain times of the summer there's just hordes of mosquitoes so i would say if you're gonna if you're going to do it maybe you borrow a tent from a friend and a tarp and you make sure that you're going to have the basic comforts, that you're going to be able to sleep relatively comfortable, that you'll have a pad underneath you, that you'll be warm and you keep the bugs off you so that yeah. you can sure you'll have a reasonably good first experience there. But yeah, I would say start start easy and then decide how complex you want to get after that.
0: Some people are concerned about doing this because they don't know, you know, is the boogeyman around or Bigfoot.
1: i suppose or bears
0: bigfoot i've seen him i've seen uh up in the redwoods all kinds of carved statues and people claiming they've seen him
3: yeah but anyway
0: (laughs) safety considerations
3: There are always safety considerations. I personally am not concerned about Bigfoot. <laughs> I salute those people that are Bigfoot hunters that are really into <laughs> Bigfoot and are trying to find evidence. Some of them are really just, they're actually, they're doing science. They are out there trying to find evidence of Bigfoot and more power to you. You're getting outdoors, you're getting outside in nature. And that's, fantastic so bigfoot a concern well maybe i think that <laughs> i think bears would be a concern with bears you want to really limit or like not have food smells that's where your biggest concern is going to be with that so you want to keep your your food your garbage everything if you have bear canisters, great, but you probably don't. If you keep it in your vehicle, I put it inside lots of multiple layers of things. It's inside a plastic bag. That's inside a plastic bag. That's inside a small airtight bin. That's inside a big airtight bin. Uh, you really want to keep those those scents from uh, from getting away from you mm-hmm. and and out to bears. And That said, most bears. Well, let me say if you there are some places where bears are accustomed to people and they've gotten into the food. And so that can be an issue. So that's part of your research that you do ahead of time is being aware that bears could know about the possible mm-hmm. good eats around humans. And that would be more likely around places that are really popular with boondockers. And places where, of course, there's also bears. Like I would say, for example, Yellowstone National Park and Yosemite National Park, if you were to draw mm-hmm. a circle around those, kind of coming out 20 miles, there's probably a lot of people doing boondocking around there, and there's a lot of bears. And it's the same with Yosemite for, for both of those. So just be aware that I would be more concerned about bears there than I would say, way out in remote Northern California or Oregon or those sorts of places where, yeah, there's bears, but not many people go.
0: And do you also have any thoughts about being concerned about fellow humans?
3: (laughs) Well, I do. For the most part, I don't worry about it very much. But where I think you are most likely to see something that may make you feel mm, this feels a little sketchy would be if you are close to a town because there you know there could be some people that um uh you know they may be involved in in various illegal activities they may be kind of living out of a van too and so they they're they they do not go out far out to where the beautiful places are yeah it's not their thing and i've never really had a situation where i was out boondocking and somebody came by and i thought oh this is sketchy or this is strange that said do follow your instincts if you were someplace doing dispersed camping somebody pulls up you know 100 feet away 150 feet away and you just don't like the vibe it just you know, I try to engage them in conversation. For some reason, you're just like, yeah, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel comfortable. Pack your stuff up and go someplace else."
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had wanted to ask you how you got into writing the books.
3: All of the books. Well.
0: <clears throat> well, or just in general, <laughs> how did you start in that aspect of of
3: this? The first books I wrote were the hiking guidebooks. That started. When I was in my late 20s, I just finished a master's degree in political science at UC Davis. I was starting to teach political science courses at uh, Shasta College in Reading and Butte College down in Chico. I'd always loved the outdoors. I'd always loved hiking. And I also wanted to be a writer. And I thought about what is it that I want to write I thought about an important thing that I want to do that I would want to be, say my legacy to the world or the planet for my life. And that might ripple a little bit after I'm gone is that people get outside more, they get outdoors more, they enjoy nature more and they feel more connection to nature. I think, well, I think, and science backs this up that being out in nature and including hiking and dispersed camping boosts your physical health and it boosts your mental health. So that's what I want to do. I want people to be healthier and to be happier. So that's why I decided to write the hiking guidebook. So I wrote uh, my first book. is actually now out of print, basically covered from just north of Reading down to the Chico area. But from there, I moved on to 100 Classic Hikes, Northern California, and then Hike the Parks, Redwood National and State Parks. And then a book that is really my home base, my home area, the hikes that I do time and time again, is the book I wrote for Mountaineers, books called Day Hiking, Mount Shasta, Lassen and Trinity Alps Regions. That has 125 day hikes going from Oh Red Bluff on up to Wairika, but it includes uh, Lassen Volcanic National Park, Mount Shasta area, Redding, Whiskeytown Lake, Trinity Alps, etc. So it's uh, really the book that is closest to my heart. But yeah, I started writing because I just really wanted to be out in the woods and do the hiking myself, and then also get other people outdoors.
1: Yeah. So one of the questions that we love to ask all of our guests is for your best camping memory
3: oh my best camping memory (laughs) i love that
1: everyone says boy there are so many
3: yeah there really are so many for me the one that just jumped into my mind is one from it was actually the late 1990s and i had lived on the island of Kauai for three years in the Hawaiian islands,
0: oh, man. absolutely
3: wonderful and magnificent. And I loved it there, but I got Island fever and mm-hmm. I just missed the Western United States. And mm-hmm. I bought a Ford Econoline van to do disperse camping and traveling around the West end. I bought it on Kauai, had it shipped over. And then my two golden retrievers, Han and Molly and I, we flew to the mainland We got in that van. We set it up to to live in, and for really about a year, I traveled in the West in that van doing doing boondocking. Great. And I specifically remember one of the the first nights of the trip. It was spring, say mid-April. We were in the desert in southern Utah, Utah, in Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, way, way, way down a dirt road. It was completely dark. There were no lights of civilization anywhere, and the sky was just that inky, inky black that you can only get in really remote areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The stars were so bright. The Milky Way was just incredible. I remember just staying out there for... An hour just in awe at all these beautiful stars and I remember seeing one really bright meteor streak across the sky. It was just just a truly magnificent moment that let me know that I'd made the right decision by leaving Kauai and by getting this van and traveling around and I was just so happy to be alive. It was one of those true moments in life where you really feel alive and you really feel so happy to be on the planet.
1: That is yeah, that's great. Amazing. And that's a good, yeah, good sign, <laughs> a good indicator that you were on the right path.
0: Ah, uh, that's awesome.
1: So conversely, then we also ask, <laughs> what was your worst camping memory?
3: <sighs> My worst camping memory? Well, do you mean dispersed camping or just overall camping?
1: Whatever.
2: Yeah.
3: well i'd say my worst memory was when stephanie and i were in a campground in yosemite national park it was one of the campgrounds on the road out to glacier point in yosemite national park it was one of those two i think there's two very large campgrounds there we were doing some dispersed camping on that trip, but it was Yosemite and we were in the parks. We thought, okay, we will stay in the campground. There were multiple groups in that campground that were just staying up all night long. Just, you know, they were laughing and talking and yelling and screaming. And it was just... Took us a long time to get to sleep and then we'd get woken up again by an especially loud noise coming from them. And it wasn't just one group, it was like two or three. I think it was a lot of, or I think it was, well, it was obviously people being rude. And uh, (laughs) it was just one of the reasons why I really prefer boondocking, dispersed camping to campgrounds because almost always when I'm out in the backwoods camping it is super quiet. I don't hear anybody and I don't see yeah. anybody. Whereas with the campground, it's always, it's always a crapshoot. Yeah. 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 That's what
1: yeah. That's yeah, yeah. I love.
3: I love boondocking.
1: Again, just a sign that you're doing what you should be doing. Yeah. And, and <laughs>
0: also the best thing is that you're sharing these tips and ideas with us.
1: Yes. Thank you for that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure.
0: Well, it was a pleasure speaking with you. For sure. Thank you for your time. And and we will also share links to the books and your website and all of the great resources you've created for us.
1: Absolutely.
3: Yes, I appreciate that. People can go to dispersedcamping.net for information about my book, the checklist of what to take when you're going to Spurs camping and then that list of all the apps and websites and all those sorts of things. And I know this will be in your notes, but uh, Northern California hiking is the website for my hiking guidebooks.
0: Great. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. And we encourage people to go and, and check them out. Yeah.
1: And although we are close enough geographically right now, we almost could have met in person.
2: Yeah.
1: By <laughs> the yeah. <time>. yeah. <laughs> By the time our listeners hear this, it'll be...
0: We will uh, be in Indiana. It'll be
1: next Thursday. Yeah, we will be all the way in Indiana. So (laughs) So, (laughs) a lot will happen between now and then. Yeah,
0: yeah. Interesting.
1: But we sure do appreciate you taking the time and for reaching out initially.
3: I was really, really happy to do this. I really appreciate that you guys put in all the time and effort to produce such a good podcast that that I'm sure helps a lot of people.
0: We hope so too. And we'd love to have you back as well. to Talk more about this kind of thing. I think people are really interested in it.
3: Yeah. 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 I think so too. I'm happy to do it anytime you want me. Sounds great. Well, good meeting you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice meeting you too.
0: All right. Take care. Take care.
3: Okay. You too. And safe journey to Indiana. Thank you.
0: (laughs)
1: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Everybody seems to be talking about lithium batteries for their RVs.
0: Of course. They charge faster, last longer, weigh less, and require zero maintenance. Plus, you don't have to replace them every few years.
1: We love Lion Energy's safe lithium batteries. And with their limited lifetime warranty, they're the last batteries you'll have to buy for your RV.
0: Of course, we have a discount for you on our discounts and deals page, and you can learn more about why lithium is the way to go.
1: One of the things that John mentioned when we were interviewing him is that he likes to boondock and go out in, in you know, in the boonies in the middle of nowhere, because then there's no outside light, and you get just great, beautiful, big, dark skies where you can really see all the stars and see everything. Well we because we are you know on a long road trip and we spent a lot of time in the truck we kind of made it a late evening one time because we didn't have to set up a camper or anything so we weren't too concerned about getting to our destination at three (laughs) o'clock like the rule of threes and we saw the moon come up and it was just beautiful and gorgeous and full and we were all in awe about the the moon and then as we kept driving and driving and driving we realized We were watching a lunar eclipse, we hadn't even realized it was the day of a a lunar eclipse and it was the blood moon, so it was May 15th, it was a blood moon which means that the eclipse, I read about this and and I hope I get this right, There's (laughs) there's enough shadow that the blue tones are muted from the moonlight and so what you get is just the red tones and so at a certain point when it was kind of all overshadowed but you could still see the light, the light was kind of a red light shining through of the moon and that was before the, the really heavy shadow overtook the moon. It was just a phenomenal situation. We loved watching it and I was thinking about the fact that sometimes you use the word eclipse in a bad way like oh her presentation eclipsed his
0: research or something you know well, whatever the, the, the As, planet eclipsed the moon right
1: well right and so you it is a, a shadowing and a and a overbearing or whatever and sometimes we use that in a bad way but I have never been patient enough to just go outside <laughs> and watch a whole lunar eclipse and I, it was so wonderful to just be sitting in the passenger seat for the entire time just watching the moon shrink away to nothing
0: we happen to be in wyoming and it was really dark and we we're kind of in the middle of nowhere and it was really spectacular it made it difficult to drive we've been switching off the driving like right now i'm in the passenger seat yeah but we've been switching off the driving and It was just really difficult to drive because it was so very cool to see this. And so I guess our takeaway is, you know, if you haven't had the opportunity to go somewhere where there's very little light pollution and just enjoy the night sky, oh, do so. It is, it's such a neat thing. Yes. So anyway, this week we have a tip from the FMCA.
1: So I was thinking, you know I like to give tips about the FMCA and this week because we're on the road and because we haven't had a camper for a few days <laughs> we haven't been traveling with a camper we have a couple copies of Family RVing magazine which is put out by FMCA so yeah, it's a it's are not, magazine. yeah even though we're not actually RVing we're, we're keeping up on things as we always do but if we get to read about RVing in the evenings when we get to our hotel room <laughs> and read our family rving magazines
0: yeah i mean and the, yeah it's a good magazine it's uh, beautifully produced good content we we really enjoy it and you know that's the other thing there are a number of really good magazines about rving for rvers included in that of course is family rving magazine which is part of your membership if you're an FMCA member and right we heartily encourage you to be an FMCA member because there's a lot of great benefits and the magazine just happens to be one of those other great magazines are like Girl Camper and Gents you can read that too it's really a good magazine really beautifully <laughs> produced
1: and Boy Camper I mean uh, <laughs> Rootless Living, <laughs> Rootless
0: living. And of course vintage camper trailers, our friends Paul and Caroline in Sacramento produced that. So neat And we magazines. have talked
1: about these magazines before, so we will put some links to previous episodes when we've talked about other magazines. And companies. Airstream Life.
0: How could we forget them?
1: And Airstream Life, yeah. So
0: yeah, there you go. This week's gadget really has its ups and downs. Oh boy. It's a ladder. It's a ladder. And more importantly, it is this is such an odd you know, some names just don't translate well from <laughs> their native language to whatever language you happen to speak which i assume is english since that's the language we use for this podcast but i bought a mean fun <laughs> mean fun mean fun extending ladder and what this is we it's have a been dark. having
1: some mean fun with absolutely that thing. yeah <laughs> going up
0: going down going up going down but it's uh, one of those ladders the telescopes and there are a ton of those on amazon and i'll put a link to this one and what i liked is this one has a single pair of buttons to collapse the ladder back down it ties up and carries fairly neatly mean fun claims it's 20 pounds or so i think it's heavier than that i should weigh it because Uh it seems heavier if you don't know i do not like going up on ladders i don't like heights I don't like ladders i don't like tall buildings none of that stuff i bought this thing so we could get up on the roof of the vintage trailer and do some work on the vents which aren't there there's just holes in the ceiling at the moment (laughs) and so bought this mean fun ladder and got up on the roof of the well i got up to get you know to the edge of the roof of the vintage trailer and it's really stable i was very very impressed with how stable this was it claims it'll hold 330 pounds you know i I like to have a little extra capacity right and so 330 pounds is more than i weigh though i used to get close to that but not Uh. anymore but anyway the only thing i didn't like about it was the rungs are rather narrow so it's not the most comfortable thing. And I am somebody who likes to walk around in sandals. And this is really a closed shoes type of thing. And I'm sure there are people who will say,
1: You shouldn't be using sandals anyway. Yeah.
0: So the comfort level of the steps, or the rungs rather, make it so that you really do want to wear You want a pretty shoes, good shoes. solid
1: pair of shoes. Yeah.
0: So we actually got rid of the stepladder that we used to have so Peggy could get into the back of the pickup truck and we've been just toting around this Mean Fun Ladder. But another reason we wanted to have this is so we could get up onto the new trailer and look at what's going on on top of the slide room. Yes, this one has a slide room. Yes. That's the deal. So the Mean Fun Ladder, I I think I really like the feel and quality of this thing. I like how it compacts down and is very transportable and how solid it is so yeah it's it it may not be fun it's not mean (laughs) but it's a pretty good ladder yeah now we have the rv of the week and i am gonna make i'm gonna stand on my soapbox here
1: don't stand up i'm driving
0: oh that's right (laughs) and plus i'd hit my head on the ceiling of the truck I think that this rv is one of the most game-changing floor plans i have seen in the world of travel trailers Ooh. it is the ember 191 msl nicknamed the missile because msl okay. and what it basically is ember took their bunkhouse model which had an outdoor kitchen and it had a back door so you could flip up one of the bunks and store like bikes and stuff in there and they just took the bunks out altogether. so now the big side door where the kitchen was is just a side door opening and the back door just goes to an opening however there are two platforms that they include with this and then they have racks inside the trailer well in those racks you could put the platforms so they become bunk beds or You could lower one of the platforms and put the other one up so it becomes a desk. Or you could put the platforms all the way up and have a big open cargo space. And it's just such a flexible use of that space that I have never seen before. And Ember credits the fan base for creating this floor plan. But I want to give Ember credit for listening to the fan base and building it.
1: Yeah, and actually making changes or making decisions based on what people are saying they want.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a smart use of space. I would be shocked if you didn't see other RV companies doing this very, very quickly.
1: Last week on our question of the week, we asked you if part shortages and service problems were keeping you from your normal camping and traveling plans fortunately I guess I can say we didn't get a lot of response yeah. I, I hope that means that that's because no one's having struggles
0: yeah we hope so we hope this isn't affecting you I know I do read you know, all over the internet that some people are having issues we have a, one of the fellow writers of RV travel that They will not get a material repair done to their motorhome until August. Wow. Which pretty much blows the whole camping season, right? And they live full-time in it and are actually work campers. We may have Nancy and her husband on. They're neat people. Anyway, but Tom said, My mama told me a long time ago when things are going good, don't talk about it. It'll just tempt fate. So So
1: that might be why we didn't get any responses, because people don't want to talk about it and <laughs> say, oh, no, everything's fine. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> it's all good in the neighborhood. Wendy did have to alter her plans in tent camp.
1: But I say that that's still a win, because you still got to go camping.
0: That's right. And there's no wrong way to enjoy some stressless camping. That's right. And speaking of the question of the week, this week's question is...
1: What is something that you do when you go camping that you maybe don't ever take the time to do at home? I know that when I was a kid, my mom always made cinnamon rolls when we went camping and I don't remember making them any other time, but that was something that we knew that if there were cinnamon rolls being made, we were going camping.
0: Yeah, that's that's super cool. So anyway, you can answer that question and see all of the things people say and ask at our fun and friendly Facebook group, the Stressless Camping Podcast Facebook group, linked on any page of our website. And speaking of our website, did you know we do a once a week newsletter and it's absolutely free? In fact, it has links to the stories, videos, podcasts, and more that will help you get the most out of your stressless camping experience.
1: And please know that we only use your email address to send you a weekly email. We don't use it for anything else. We don't sell it, give it away, anything like that.
0: Nope. No, no, no. Never, never. That would not be Stressless Camping. And, well, heck, while you're on our website, don't forget the discounts and deals on the best things you'll need for your Stressless Camping Adventure.
1: And if you know of any deals that you might want us to share with our listeners, please reach out and let us know, and we would love to share those.
0: Absolutely. Of course, we're kind of picky. We only are going to share the things that We feel serve you well. Of course, we are in all the social places, but you can start at stresslesscamping.com or you can jump off on Facebook or Instagram or all of that. It's all linked there. That's also where the show notes are for this episode, including our link to the checklist that you can download. And this is episode number 151, like Bacardi 151. (laughs) Episode 151. So that's there as well
1: and of course if you don't want to miss a future episode of the stressless camping podcast it's free it's free to subscribe just go to any podcast catcher and uh hey while you're in that podcast catcher especially if it's an apple one would you take a moment and write us a review it's so helpful when we get those reviews and we do want to thank everyone who has written reviews they're just so helpful to us yeah
0: they they really are they help tell the world about our little podcast here and so we thank you for all the reviews and well we're on our way to indiana we're going to continue our stressless camping adventure we appreciate your joining us for this 151 episodes and of course next week's episode is we're going to bore you with details about (laughs) our new trailer (laughs) Uh, and, and and share some fun things that we've done but in the meantime thank you for being part of our